constantly learning. Um, and so by no means am I saying I am, you know, I've got the ultimate angle on this whatsoever. Um, but you can see within the church, on, on the one hand, within the church, there are the fundamentalists. I would say, I'm just, again, for broad brush, okay? Uh, there are the fundamentalists who uh, who hold the stance that the gifts, the spiritual gifts are no longer in operation today and that they ceased with the close of the canon in Scripture and they use certain verses to, to try to, um, you know, support that. On the other hand, on the other side of the spectrum, there are those of the Pentecostal persuasion um, who hold the view that unless you speak in tongues, you are not saved. And so you can see within the body of Christ, there's quite a, quite a, you know, somebody's not right, right? <laughs> and so I have tremendous respect for a lot of these brothers and sisters. One of my favorite uh, theology books of all time is, is uh, the Foundations of Pentecostal Theology, in that it's just so darn clear when it comes to uh, how it how it talks about different aspects of God. Now, do I agree with all the theology? You know, no. But it's one of my favorite books. You know, and some of the fundamentalists, you know, I I, I love their writings. I love the way that they're, they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. Amen. And as we're going to kind of come across here, we, we, we always kind of want to divide. And and I think the, uh, the divide along our lines. I mean, look at the denominations. And you wonder why the church is weak. We wonder why we're not winning people to Christ, you know. And I think the message to the church, and I think Paul's going to talk about it, is unity. The spiritual gifts are not meant to divide the church, but to edify the church and to unify them and build them up. And we'll get to that as we're going on. And so um, I would encourage each of you, as it says in Acts 17, um, 11, it says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. Excuse me. You know me. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of the prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So I would challenge you to be of noble character as we come across these difficult scriptures and to search the scriptures to see if what Matt is saying is what the Word of God says. Challenge it. Now, I want us to be aware of our backgrounds. I want us to be a, a, aware of, um, you know, what we have been taught. And we, yes, we hold on to certain doctrines, but certain ones we got to just, you know, what does the Word of God say? And so I would, I would challenge you, everything that you believe, everything you hold dear, challenge it against the Word of God. And if it doesn't hold true, let it go. It does hold on to it, and so uh, be a Berean. So, especially on this subject, which is so divisive in the body of Christ, which it shouldn't be. So, the Lord wants us to be informed about the work of the Holy Spirit and His power in our lives. Amen. Verse seven. Skip down to verse seven in First Corinthians. It says, "Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for what? The common good." The primary purpose of the gifts of the Spirit, the spiritual gifts, is not for self. It's not for self. 
It's for the benefit of the entire church. Look to the left and the right of you. The reason why you are here is not for you. It's for them. It's for their edification, for their building up. Boy, that is anti-culture today, isn't it? It's all about me, building me up. I want to see what I can get out of Sunday. And if I'm not getting something out of it, see you later. Isn't that that way in marriage these days? What if we live for the other person? You know, and it's interesting the way God sets it up. As we live for others, we become content. We become satisfied. We become uh, filled. But when we live for self, you know that acronym for, for joy, Jesus, others, you. You last. We last. Amen? But it says, I must decrease and he must increase. I remember that verse. And it just comes to mind. The gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of others and to the glory of Jesus Christ. I like what Chuck Smith said. He said, Do not give the, uh, God did not give the gifts to exalt individuals. He gives them to exalt Jesus Christ. As the gifts are exercised, it's not to exalt Matt. It's to exalt Jesus Christ, to lift him up. And if the gifts are in proper use, if they're being operated within the church correctly, the focus goes to Jesus Christ and not an individual. And it, that's very difficult to do because as people, we love what? Attention. You know? Oh, great job, Matt. Yes, it was, wasn't it? As, as if God himself was speaking this morning. Lord, help us. You know? In verse 4 through 6, I, I notice I'm kind of skipping around here. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in every one, it's the same God at work. It's interesting, the Lord uses the Trinity. He uses himself to describe the unity, yet the diversity. He's unified, yet he's diverse. And same with the, the gifts of the Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, service and workings, but the same Spirit, Lord and God. We're unified in it, even in the diversity of it. It's the same with the body of Christ. The men's study we, uh, we just had last, uh, last night and Friday night, uh, we got into the inductive Bible study. It was amazing how we pulled these little nuggets out of, and I, I kept going, three is everywhere in Scripture. We just can't even, but right here, just it, it talks about the different uh, gifts, service, and workings with the same Spirit, Lord, and God. And Paul's going to reemphasize this in verse 12 by using the analogy of the body having different parts but with diverse functions, yet it's one body. And because of these verses right here that we just read, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings. Um, <clears throat> because of this, people have divided the gifts into different, into different groupings. Now, I think that helps us to kind of compartmentalized, but I'm not sure if, if they are really necessarily divided into groups. But just for the sake of us kind of taking a section at a time, we're going to go ahead and, and, and divide them that way. And so first, first Corinthians 12 through 14, which we're going through now, is the charisma gifts. It's kind of, you know, that's one section. And if you look at, I put a 
deal in your bulletin, there should be a hard-to-read thing up there. And so uh, that, that's, this is for your reference. Um, and so 1 Corinthians 12-14, through 14, uh, the charisma gifts, and sometimes they're associated with the Spirit. And then the service gifts found in Romans 12, 6 through 8 are associated with the Father, some say. And then the office gifts or the government gifts are found at Staples. No, I'm just kidding. Um, are, are found in Ephesians chapter 4, 7 through 13 and kind of associated with the Son. But uh, again, take that lightly. Um, by no means is this an exhaustive list. If you look at the miscellaneous uh, passages, the gift of celibacy, hospitality, martyrdom, missionary, you know, there's the gift of craftsmanship in the Old Testament, and the Spirit of God came upon and made him to be able to do amazing things with arts and crafts, you know. There's <laughs> a spirit of arts and crafts. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but there are. It's just not limited. So I don't think this is exhaustive. And But this is what is said, so this is what we're dealing with. So if the method helps you memorize it, great. So the big picture is that when properly understood, the gifts edify the body of Christ, and we all benefit from this. So here's the list of gifts that Paul lays out in verse 7 through 11. And um, again, this is not exhaustive. Uh, and so now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To each one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of that same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to another, still, uh, uh, I'm sorry, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So notice that the gifts are given through the Spirit and by that same Spirit and of that one Spirit. You see the unity there? God gives the gifts. The emphasis is unity. Unity within the Spirit who gives and hopefully uni unity within us who receive. If we are using the gifts that God gives us to divide the church, they are not being used correctly. Amen? And so now here are the gifts, all nine of them kind of explained a little bit. The word of wisdom, which means skillful living. The word of wisdom is revelation from God that provides supernatural wisdom. It's often needed when facing a problem that could potentially divide or polarize the church or a group. You know, if you remember in Acts chapter 6, they had the situation with the Hellenist Jews that, that the, uh, the, uh, the Jewish women, uh, widows, were not being treated fairly. And so... It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, so there's church growth issues, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the uh, Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. They had a, the church was taking care of the needs of the people, not the government. Very interesting. And so... The twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. See, they knew their gifting. They knew their place within the church. It was not below them, but that is what they were called to. They were called to minister in the word and to pray for the church and to shepherd the church in that way. 
It says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And so what did they do? They chose the seven from among them. And these people were awesome. Stephen was among them. God gave the apostles the supernatural wisdom of what to do in that circumstance. If you read further, five of the guys, they had seven, had, had, Greek, last, had Greek names. Very helpful when you're dealing with that kind of social issue. God had given them a supernatural wisdom there. Often there's an opportunity for a group to divide or polarize, and a word of wisdom is very helpful in those circumstances. So notice it pulls the body together. It unifies it. Word of knowledge. This is when the Spirit reveals, uh, it, it gives a person a, a, a knowledge of a situation that they wouldn't normally have or understand. Have any of you had this? Experienced this? That's a chest. That's why I knew it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> If you remember the story of Jesus, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, Jesus was speaking to her about living water. And for some reason, she asked Jesus, uh, Jesus said, hey, woman, go call your husband. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have said, well, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you are with now is not your husband. How did Jesus know this? Obviously, he's God. Yes, that's the short answer. But the gift, the, the manifestation of the Spirit was on Jesus in full. He could read what was going on. It was something given to him. He could understand. You see that again in the story of the paralytic man that was lowered down to the room. Jesus told the man that his sins were forgiven. But what happened? It says, now some of the teachers of law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and said to them, why are you thinking these things? It's kind of a crazy gift that God gives, that insight into someone's soul or insight into someone's situation. Um, in counseling situations, when I've, I've been counseling someone, if this is not something that happens all the time, but there'll be a certain circumstance where I just know something about that person that's true, and I have no idea. It just does not make sense at all with the circumstance. But And then I say it, and they go, how did you know that? I'm like, well, the Lord wants to heal you, wants to encourage you in this area. He's given us gifts to pull these things out, to draw them out. There was a time when I was talking to a lady, and she was a total, you know, uh, soccer mom, and you would never guess anything was going on. And I said, the Lord just put in my heart, yeah, she's... Smoking pot. I'm like, no, God, I'm not going to tell her that, you know? So you're having this argument in yourself. And I said, you know what? I think the Lord told me something about you, and I just said it. She's like, you've been following me? What's going on? I'm like, no, man. It's like, why would I follow you? <laughs> but God did that to, to bring that out because she needed healing in her life. You know, you see, it wasn't to push her down and to knock her around. It was to expose so that she could be healed. And that's really the, the gift of, of, the, of the gifts of the Spirit. It's the purpose, to edify the church. Word of knowledge. Pray that you would have these things in circumstances. Pray. You know, it's not a 
sixth sense or perception. It's, it's wisdom that God gives you about a certain circumstance to edify the body of Christ, to build us up. Very, very important. This often is manifested to me while I'm watching the Chargers because I know that they're in the, in, the, in the red zone, and I'm like, they're going to like fumble, and this person's going to run it all the way back, and sure enough, it happens. So I think I'm very gifted with that. No, I'm just kidding. With the, yes, that's horrible. So the big picture again. Um, the next, um, faith. Faith. Now, every man is given a measure of faith, mainly faith to believe in Christ, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That's the main picture of faith. But uh, for, by, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Now, there's that saving faith. And it's hard to parse faith out, you know, into different faith segments. But this isn't talking about like a saving faith. This isn't talking about a sanctifying faith. This isn't talking about, uh, you know, it's not in that context. It's in the context of having an overwhelming belief that something's going to happen in spite of the odds. In spite of the odds. You just know that you know that you know that God is going to do something. Faith. It's very interesting. Here's some examples in Scripture. Um, Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac. He trusted that God would have to raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise. He just knew in his heart. No matter what happens here, God's just going to have to raise him dead because he said. And it was a promise. It was back upon what God had said. Again, Abraham trusted God to have a son of promise well after Sarah was able to have kids. Paul, uh, remember he had this faith when he was, gonna, when he was in the midst of that storm and the ship was going to go down and he said, you know, don't worry, everybody. Trust, and you'll all be saved. And not one of them died. They all survived the shipwreck. Every single one of them. Paul had that, that instance of, of, of faith. Now, does it stay all the time? I don't think so. I think, like, if you see, in, and I know this is an Old Testament example, you see Elisha, you know, great men of faith. We have, we have times of total failure. You know, you'll believe God for something one minute, and the next minute you're running 100 miles away because Jezebel's going to get you when you just called fire down from heaven. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's interesting how the Lord works with us. When God called us to Walla Walla, there was a lot of faith involved there. I know on your side and mine as well. But when it, the situation had died and it was God, yet the Lord, I knew in my heart, of hearts, the Lord was going to do it. He would have to raise it again from the dead. And he did, and here we stand. Not because of my ability, but because he said it. Praised and glory to God, you know, <laughs> in spite of me, in spite of us, amen? <laughs> I love that, the gift of faith for a specific situation. Think of how that could bless us. Think of how that could bless this body. You see it, just something that's plaguing us something that's that's hurting your family or hurting another family, and God gives you the faith to believe and to understand that he will accomplish this in spite of all the odds. Not a working yourself up type of thing, but God just convicts your spirit. The spirit touches you and says, you know what? I'm going to bring them through. And you're looking at the odds, you're looking at the circumstances, and you're going, there is no way on earth. Look at this family. Look at this situation. Look at this marriage. God gives you the faith to speak to them. And then when it happens, who gets the glory? Put it back up to him. Always. 
re-diverting any attention, any glory back to Jesus Christ. Look at what he did. He is faithful. And oh, how we need these things operating within our, um, our body. And they are to be pursued. You know, God says to pursue them. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, we did word of knowledge. I'm going back here. Miracles. There are things like parting the Red Sea, calling down fire, turning water into wine, causing the wind and waves to cease. Not many examples of these lately that I know of, but you know I've read many stories. I'll share one in just a bit of, of healing when we get to that. Um, but miracles. Prophecy. When we think of prophecy, what do we think of? Yeah, foretelling telling the future, right? And so... Um, the end of the world, but actually prophecy is two parts. It's foretelling, but it's mainly forthtelling. It's telling the plan of God. And that's the part that edifies the church. Um, John, yes, John the revelator, right? John the prophet, and he was, he was telling future events. He had different examples of that. Most in the Old Testament, they foretold of Jesus Christ, or they foretold they were all centered around the first or the second coming. But prophecy in Scripture is is very interesting because it, it's telling the words of God. It's speaking forth His truth. Um, this can come from just te- teaching His word in a way, speaking forth what God is doing. But also, some of us will will have, you know, a word in our hearts to share. You know what? I think the Lord is saying this to to our to us, and this is the direction we should go. Now that gets kind of weird, doesn't it? Because how do you know what God says? Is it contradicting this? God's placed elders in the church to judge these things. He's placed you in the church to judge these things. So there's ways that Paul set up to to counter these things. But prophecy, um, forthtelling and foretelling, speaking the, forth the truth of God through the anointing of the Spirit, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are many times when I've had this happen in my life by people operating. But when I was young, I was uh, younger, okay, um, I was 21, 20, and I had been serving on the worship team. The worship team leader had left, and they were looking to see who would replace, um, replace you know, that person. And uh, the lady sitting there, we were meeting with a pastor, and they were all talking, and we were praying and stuff. And she looked over, and she goes, you're going to be the next praise and worship leader. And I said, no, I'm not. You know, <laughs> like, no way. The Lord had put it on her heart. But she had spoken something of God that was going to be true, and it was, and it happened. My heart wasn't ready. It wasn't even thinking in that direction, but through circumstances, through prayer, God, God made it about. And didn't have to, I didn't have to force it to happen. It came. It was God's will. And so that's kind of an example of one of those prophecy type of situations. It was to edify the church. It wasn't to tear it down. We're not talking about God will come back on December 15th of, you know, No. And so prophecy, very eagerly. And, and interestingly enough, Paul says to, to, to desire this above all gifts. And we'll get into that a little bit more as we go. Very interesting. According to Paul, prophecy is to be desired above all gifts because it edifies the most. It blesses, it builds up others in their faith. The sermon of spirits. This is the gift that the Holy Spirit gives a person in order to know if something is from God, from man, or the devil. How we need discernment in our lives. I mean, leaders trying to discern, is this of God? Is this of the flesh? Is this the enemy? What's going on? 
Is this a pizza someone ate? You know, I don't know. The gift is often often present in church leaders. Someone can walk up to you and say hello, and you can have just this very interesting sense in your spirit about what's going on. It just pulls you in a certain direction. I remember I was at uh, at uh, at church and uh, Calvary Chapel in Escondido, and it's just a you know there would be people that would walk in, and all of a sudden, I mean, they just look as plain as day, but your heart would just be pulled and you'd just be sensitized to something that was wasn't right. You know, they didn't say anything, they didn't look out of the ordinary, nothing. And sure enough, there'd be an acting up in the service and they would be the one who was doing it, you know, when God starts to move. It was very, very interesting, but the Lord's given us discernment of spirits. Very important in the in the body of Christ to protect, to know what the will of God is in a circumstance. That's something we, we really need. What's God doing? How is he working? Is this of the flesh? It might seem totally normal and make absolute sense to do this one thing. But the Lord gives someone discernment going, you know what? I've got to check on this. This happens often in the elder board. Often. We're all going, yeah, that sounds great. And one person will go, eh, you know what? I want to hold off on that. And sometimes they are absolutely right. And how precious that is, how precious that is to uh, be sensitized to the Holy Spirit. So uh, if you if you uh, remember uh, Peter as an example, um, Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Christ, the Son of God, right? And Jesus responded, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. This discernment, right? And then the, there's a few verses later, Jesus was discerning that, where he was receiving that. A few verses later, when Jesus revealed his plan to be crucified, Peter said in a few words, he said, no way, Jesus, you can't do that. You can't die. And then what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. Wow. So you had Peter, one second, hearing from the lips of the Father, and the second being motivated by Satan. Boy, discernment is needed in the church. If Peter can be moved like that, how about me? How about you? Pray for these gifts. Not to not, you know, mess with one another, but to edify, to build up. Say, ah, you know what? You're in the flesh. Knock it off. You know, or yeah, that's what the Lord's doing. I need that in my life. You need that in your life. The gift of tongues. Tongues is the ability to speak in a known language that you do not know. There are also verses that might be speaking of tongues as divine utterances. For if, if I speak of the tongues of men and angels. Now, is Paul saying that there are tongues of men and angels, or is he using a figure of speech? That's one of the things that people kind of go back and forth on. I'm not quite sure. Okay, But what we do know from what the Scripture says is there are definitely foreign languages that you don't know how to speak that are spoken. And Paul spends most of his time on this gift. And so we'll spend a little bit more time on it than the others. I think it's one of the ones that can be abused. One of the ones that is is abused in the church. And so uh, we want to go with what Paul says and what the heart of the situation is. It's a language you don't know. And the Bible clearly teaches that tongues is the ability given by the Spirit of God to speak in a known language that is unknown to you. And depending on how you interpret this verse, you know, again, like I said, it it might be an angelic tongue. 
But uh, when a person speaks in tongues, they are speaking to God. That's the first thing. Quite often, um, especially in, in, in charismatic Pentecostal groups, I'm not trying because I've had experiences in these things. I've been a part of those churches. Um, there'll be, um, I believe, a misuse of that gift because they're speaking to other, per- other people. And clearly, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I say, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. So it's hard to go against what Paul says there so clearly. Not that I wouldn't wish that was true, but it's just not. We have to go by what he says. The Lord says, not what I want. He says when you speak in a tongue, you speak to people. You're not speaking to people, you're speaking to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So tongues um, is a is a prayer praise prayer praise language. It's speaking to God. When you speak to God, you're praying. When you're when you're singing to God, you are you are um, you know it's it's prayer. It's a prayer language. I don't know how to describe that. He says that right there. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. And we'll get into that a little bit more in just a second. From what I can see from Scripture, tongues has two purposes. Two purposes. And again, take this stuff, go and see if this is what the Lord is really saying. Amen? They are for signs to the unbeliever. That's clear in scriptures. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Tongues then are a sign not for the believer but for unbelievers. That's clear. Tongues are for a sign for the unbelievers. When tongues are used in public worship, they must be accompanied by an interpretation of that. Then when the unbeliever hears the declarations of God, he will know that God is present. And we're going to get into this. But speaking in tongues is also for personal edification. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Very interesting. There's something going on between your spirit and the Lord, something that blesses you when you speak in tongues on a spirit level, not an intellectual level. The pitfall of tongues is that it doesn't edify others unless there's interpretation, which we're going to get into right here. The concern that Paul addresses is that the purpose of the gifts are to edify the church, they're to build you up. Yes, you're part of the church, and if we gather and you speak in tongues, you are going to be blessed, but we are not. So, the purpose, and, and this is something that really kind of kind of came out to me. Uh, we're all here, yes, and, and we're going to listen to what you say. You're going to be edified, but no one else is going to be edified, and that's not love. Poor communication, when done deliberately, is not love. You know, if you have something that you want to, you're asking me something and I tell you, and I don't tell you the answer because I'm just being haughty or whatever, that's not love. In the same way, if I'm speaking tongues in the church, that focus gets on me and not on Christ. The focus, you're not edified, you're not blessed, and that is the purpose of the Spirit, uh, the gifts of the Spirit. So Paul encourages the church at Corinth in chapter 12, verse 10. Let's look at this. Go ahead and turn to it. Chapter 12, verse 10. And daddily, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. 
If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. This is important. Verse 12. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, because you are to excel in those gifts that build up the church, you are to earnestly desire those things. For this reason, the one that speaks uh, the one that speaks in a tongue should pray that when they in, uh, should pray that they may interpret what is said. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. I don't understand what I'm saying. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Pretty, pretty clear there. I will sing with my spirit, but I also sing with understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is put in the position of an inquirer, a seeker, an unbeliever, say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you are saying, you are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. So Paul's like, you know, he's kind of saying, hey, got to have that, that one thing going on, Corinth, thinking of others, always thinking of others. Paul spoke in tongues. Verse 18. And this is awesome because what we try to do, because Paul's kind of laying some groundwork here, is we try to say, oh, tongues, just forget the whole thing, throw it out. But what does Paul say? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So Paul spoke in tongues, and the most time he spoke tongues was not in church by himself, to the Lord. Not in church, without interpretation. So interpretation is necessary when speaking in tongues and around other people. And also Paul lays down some guidelines in 1 Corinthians 14. Flip over chapter 14. What was that? I'm sorry, I thought I said 12. Uh, never mind. That's what happens. Don't flip. Move to verse chapter 14, 27. Yes. The gift of confusion. Verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most, three should speak. One at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should go ahead and do it anyways. Keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and God. Notice that you can control tongues. It's controllable, self-control. I think the Spirit would want us to be self-controlled. Absolutely. Barking and clucking, falling on the floor, knocking over, speaking in tongues uncontrollably, I question it. I question it. And Paul goes further on to say that speaking in tongues is not really for the edification of the church when believers are gathered, but rather a sign to the unbelievers. 1 Corinthians 14.22 Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. And that's why I think my view of Sunday mornings is edifying and building up the church, not evangelism. I think that's, that's my view of it. Although there are those who do not know the Lord who come in among us, and, and by the God's Spirit, I think He will. Um, 
you know, make truths known, but it's for the edifying of you, for the work of the ministry that God has called you to. You are the evangelist. You are the salt and light. And that's kind of my thought. But so if the whole church comes together, um, uh, verse 23, so if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, uh, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. And as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Powerful. So tongues is a greater gift that edifies your own soul and can be used as a sign to unbelievers when interpreted. So Paul wishes that every one of us would speak in tongues. It's not to be discounted. He wishes we all would. But he encourages the church in 14 by saying, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries of the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. The way of love, the edification of others, the building up of the church. That's why we gather. And the reason why we're given so much to tongues is because Paul did. So lastly, in 1 Corinthians 12, is the interpretation of tongues. We'll quickly go over this and we'll be done. And then next week we'll finish up all the rest of them. This is the ability given by the Holy Spirit to interpret a tongue. Paul says that the goal of this is edification, obviously. And so um, when someone speaks in the tongue, the, 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 the scriptures say, ask that you can say what it means. Don't just blurt it out. You've got to have interpretation. There has to be an, an intelligible thought attached to it. How does this happen? By faith. How do you know what the things are, of the Spirit are? By faith. The same, same type of thing that we're dealing with with all the other gifts. And so, ask God to reveal uh, your gift to you. What has God given you? I believe he's given each of us a gift, if not more than one, some of us. Ask that he would give you the gifts that would bless others the most. That's a hard one. God, I want the one that makes me look cool. God, I want the one that, you know, people go, wow, he's special, because I have such a deficit in my own life. You know what I mean? No. Make me, give me the one that's going to bless these people. That'll make them be strengthened in their faith. That'll bring you glory, Lord Jesus. To pray this way, it says to eagerly seek them. To go after them. And I believe they're missing in the church. Because of fear. Because of division. Realize that you're a member of the body of Christ. I wrote this last month. And that you are an essential part of my edification to the person to your left and to the right. You are an essential part of my edification. I need you. I need your gifts. I need what God has made you to be in order for me to be made whole. I am incomplete without you. I am not edified without you, each one of you. You are not a part of this fellowship for you. You are here to give of your gifts to us. 
and us to you. You have a ministry in our lives. Be faithful and diligent. Don't forsake the gathering. And as Peter exhorted us in 1 Peter 4.10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire these greater gifts. And we'll get into that next week. I want you to read, if you could, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We notice, what did we read this week? 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. What do we skip over? What chapter is 1 Corinthians 13? It's a love chapter. I will show you a more excellent way. That doesn't mean it discounts, negates the gifts of the Spirit. But that is the motivation for all of them. So let's pray. Father, you've given us your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would honestly desire these things because you've given them and because they're ours. I pray that we wouldn't intellectualize them away or abuse them because of our emotional needs. I pray that we would just do it the way you said it. I pray that you give the leaders in our church wisdom in this matter. I pray that we would get absolutely out of control, <laughs> not like barking and clucking God, but but that it wouldn't just be the Matt show. That your people would, would rise up. That the gifts, the body, would be used more and more. That I would decrease, you would increase, Lord God. That precious people you place in this room would have words to share and say and that we would be built up. Help us to look more and more every day like the church that you have in your scripture and less and less what our culture dictates. These are hard things, Father. We look forward to what you're going to do in and through us, what you have done. Heal us, God. Guide us. Speak to us. That we could be a blessing to others. Amen.